Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are joining us. Uh, We've got men in the room uh, together opening up the Word of God, and we have been doing this for eight years, uh, the Wednesday Bible Study. Some of you are joining us for the very first time, I'm sure, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, So thanks a lot. You can join us every Wednesday right here on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, and you can adjust that to whatever time zone you may be in. Uh, and if you uh, don't get it live, that's all right. Uh, we, we archive it. Adler takes care of that. And you can watch it on your own time. Or you can listen to the audio-only archive, which you can get at the Rick and Bubba podcast, uh, podcast channel. Those archives are there along with the show archives every week. We are in the Rick and Bubba studio, in case you're wondering where we're coming from. And then, of course, you can also find past Bible studies uh, a couple of places. Burgess Ministries.com. Go there and click on Listen. You can uh, go back and catch any series that you may have missed, or maybe you want to catch up on this one. We're going through the book of Genesis right now. We've been eight months in the book of Genesis. Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 32. If you want to go ahead and turn there with your Bible or something with your Bible on it. Um, also want to remind you of some things going on with themanchurch.com. This this Bible study started out as a men's Bible study, and at its heart, that's what it still is, even though I know there are women that watch this on YouTube and listen to the archives, and you're certainly welcome. Uh, but in the room, it's men, men only. It has been for eight years, and this is part of a men's discipleship strategy that we developed at my local church uh, that you can now find at themanchurch.com. Uh, it features High Challenge, which has been around in men's ministry for a long time, uh, and that's gatherings of men, services designed for men, because it is impossible to reach and disciple men if you continue to treat us like we're women and children. Men and women are equal, but created by God to be distinct and wonderfully and equally different. Uh, so uh, so anyway, we designed that, and we saw that out of Scripture in Exodus 34:23 and Deuteronomy 16, 16, when Moses is told by God Almighty, three times a year, bring me just the men. Uh, so we do that, uh, and then we added something that has been an ongoing uh, struggle, even though we knew the problem is, and that was we didn't see many plans to equip men, disciple men. Challenge, yes. Equip, not much. So we put together three 40-week curriculum. We'll have our fourth coming out in 2023. So you go into a service, you come out into a, a Bible study like this one, or even smaller, and we have curriculum that was designed for men that you can go through, and it's set up for any man who wants to take that first step into leading a small group that he can facilitate that with our help. We're here to help you with everything you need to reach and disciple men in your community or in your local church. If we can help you, go to themanchurch.com. We have uh, some gatherings going on this week. As a matter of fact, uh, tonight, if you're watching live in Montgomery at St. James, uh, Rich Wingo will be doing Man Church there tonight. They're starting the strategy uh, coming up on Sunday night. Uh, well, let's do Friday night first. Friday night, the 26th of August in uh, uh, Avon, Indiana. They're at Harmony Baptist Church. Uh, they're in the second year of the strategy, their second curriculum, but their next man church uh, is coming up on Friday. Mark Garnett from our team will be teaching that. This Sunday night, First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Rich Wingo, will be there, and uh, that's his home church. He leads the men's ministry there. They're in the second curriculum, and this is their next man church. You can join them if that's somewhere near you. And we have others in September and October and all into 2023. If you want to find out about that, just go to themanchurch.com. Look under upcoming events. We also added this year uh, a Strive app. I I love the guy called the show this week. Hey, man, I got some app out there claiming it's a man church app. And we had to reassure him, it's okay, it is. Uh, somebody's trying to do an app saying it's the manager. It is. It's all right. Uh, it's uh, Thank you for looking after us. The, the Strive app, S-T-R-I-V-E, uh, that uh, provides daily devotionals for you, uh, and they're updated every week. It also provides you archives like this, uh, Bible studies that, that we've done and series that we've done, including other teachers and pastors and their sermons, articles involving men's ministry or things that men need to know uh, to take our proper role under the authority of Jesus. It's called Strive. Try it for seven days. Uh, see if you like it. If you do, keep it. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, but it is another um, resource to consider. And you can also find that app at themanchurch.com. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump into Genesis 32. Lord, thank you for today. And may we take away, but there's a lot going on today, Lord. There always is in your holy inspired word. Uh, today, they'll help me, Lord, when in all I'm so insufficient to try to unpack something so deep. Uh, so help me to 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 lean on you, to to um, to have the Holy Spirit speak, uh, 
into my heart, into the heart of all of us here or listening or watching anywhere around the world. May you be glorified, not embarrassed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's talk about what's happening in, in Genesis 32. Uh, Genesis 32, we know that, that Jacob has finally dealt with Laban. My goodness, the dealings of Laban. He's freed himself from that. He's got his wives. He's got his children. He's headed back home. He's headed back to been 20 years, and he's headed back to Canaan, uh, and he's going back to uh, to his uh, his father and grandfather's promised land from God to 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 the descendants of Abraham. He is in the line to take us all the way to Messiah. God's going to fulfill that. He's made that very clear. Uh, another confirmation is coming uh, in uh, in thirty two verses one and two. Listen to this. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, uh, he said, "This is." God's camp. He called the name of that place uh, Mahaanim. Uh, and and that, that word literally means two camps. That's what that means. It gets a little confusing because you're like, well, you said it's God's camp. Why are we calling it two camps? I think you'll see that as we unpack. So Jacob now has been reassured over and over and over and over. Let me tell you what's wonderful about the, the gracious God that we serve. And and I know that 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 I, I've been there as as an earthly father, where sometimes uh, we get annoyed with having to repeat ourselves. Uh, we we get annoyed with we, we're almost like look I've said this once and that really should be enough. Is it ever really enough? Is saying it once usually rarely. You know we, we, you have to remind. And God has kind of said, you know what? Uh, I know how you feel because I'm constantly having to remind you of things that I've told you over and over again, but he's willing to do it. He loves us so much that that, that he does it anyway. Well, again, uh, just to reassure Jacob again that he is headed in the right direction, uh, he has angels uh, that are there to greet Jacob uh, and say, look, this God is with you. You're on the right track. Uh, and, uh, and Jacob begins to get excited because that feels good. Uh, and then we get into uh, something that uh, – that Jacob, you ever had that that thought in your mind? You you get through with with one thing, and you start thinking about, man, this is great, and whatever. Next thing, you start thinking about, oh boy, uh, guess what's next? So he's he's celebrating his return to the promised land, just as the you know in his dreams at Bethel, the angels were there to reassure him that he was heading away from the right place. He was he was going where he was supposed to go from the promised land. God puts those angels right back to say, and now you're back where you're supposed to be. On each end of the journey, the angels have been there to say, you're where you're supposed to be. Uh, and uh, and so uh, these, uh, by the way, this place where he is will become the Levitical city of Gad. Uh, so um, so he, um, he is calling it uh, two camps. There, there's even some commentary, and, and, and I read a bunch of it, that says what he means by the two camps is this is God's camp. That's kind of separate. But you'll see in a minute he's going to start taking – his family, his servants, his livestock, and he's going to divide them up into different groups, into different camps, and that's really what what that name is denoting more than anything else. So, uh, so now we get into verse three through five, and and all the celebration that's going on. Man, I've freed myself from Laban. I've got all that done. Twenty years. I'm returning to the promised land. Hey, I'm back in the promised land. Oh my goodness! I'm remembering why I had to leave to begin with. Esau wants to kill me. Okay, so uh, so you got to come on back home and go. Remember why you left? Oh wow! I haven't dealt with the Esau thing. Uh, yeah, Esau was you know uh, was so angry. Your mama had to send you away for twenty years, and you know he's coming back. He's like, I wonder what the state of that relationship is. You ever had that happen? Have you ever had that really uncomfortable situation where you were at odds with somebody and you got to where you kind of got so at odds you didn't really see each other anymore, and then there's that day you're eating lunch somewhere and they walk in? You're kind of like, I wonder what the state of this relationship is. Uh, but you, you find out pretty quick, don't you? So so this is kind of where, where Jacob was. And, and so watch him begin to work a plan here. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the, the country of Edom, of course, that's that's Esau's place. Instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord. Now underline that, my Lord Esau. Don't don't let that get by, because uh, that's going to be important. 
Uh, I'm going to underline it too because this Bible I've got doesn't have an underline yet. Uh, and thus says your servant Jacob, underline that, your servant Jacob, keep an eye on that, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. Uh, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Wow. This is a different Jacob, isn't it, than, uh, than he and Mama are going to deceive Esau out of his birthright and out of his blessing. But don't forget this. Back to the God we serve. Did, was there a need for Jacob to, to get this blessing and to get this from his daddy by deceiving Esau and Isaac? No. God had already promised it to him. They cut their own deal and started their own strategy, which showed a lack of faith in God. Jacob was going to be the line, Scripture tells us, Romans tells us in Romans 7, that, that Jacob was going to be the line to Messiah before he was ever even born. Okay, before they were ever even born, I've already picked to the line of, of Jacob. Now, some people have translated that incorrectly, in my humble opinion, and many others that I respect in seven, that somehow God's predestining Esau to hell. Uh, that's not what he's doing at all. Uh, you're going to find out here. I mean, I don't, I don't see any indication in the Bible that Esau was condemned to hell. Uh, but, but what you do see is that Esau was never going to be trusted with the responsibility of the line to Jesus. Now, that's a yes, uh, because we know that. So, But anyway, so now what happens every time we decide to do something our way versus God's way? you got to deal with it. You, you create problems that God never intended to be created. Uh, so, uh, so now you're going to have to deal with it. So Jacob has made the decision that he wants to make things right with Esau, but let's face it, he has no idea how Esau sees this. And the la- I mean, what would you do right now if I'd walk through that door? And those of you that are listening, I'm walking into a studio, and there's a big door here. What if the last time one of y'all saw me, I said, now when I, if I can get you, I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, I come walking in the door. And you have not seen me since I said that. Wouldn't you love to maybe send some people to talk to me before you saw me? Say, okay, hey, I want y'all to go see Burge. And basically, I want to find out if he still wants to kill me. Uh, because if he does, I ain't coming to the Bible study. You know what I mean? So, so, so now he's sending these people, and and notice he's not going on his own for that very reason. He has no idea, and you kind of feel bad if you're one of his servants right now. You're like, what if he's so mad at you? He wants to kill everything associated with you, uh, and this is unfortunately the role of the servant. So anyway, uh, there's two camps, uh, and he's dividing those up just like he said. He's got he supplied two sets of messengers. Uh, he's saying, tell Esau, my Lord, this is Jacob, his servant. Uh, and so w- what he is doing is he's acknowledging to Esau, what's one of the first things you need to do if you truly want to reconcile with someone you're at odds with? Admit that you were wrong. Admit that what you did, you shouldn't have done, right? You just have to sit before them. And you have to say, let me just say the way I handled this was wrong. Now, he doesn't have to apologize for God choosing him, okay? But he has to apologize by the way he and his mama tried to get it done. The way, he, the way me, your earthly brother, treated you, my earthly brother, I owe you an apology for that. So when he says, tell Esau, my Lord, this is a humble way for Jacob to acknowledge you are the older brother. And other than God intervening, Yes, you would have gotten the birthright. Yes, you would have gotten the blessing. And I'm acknowledging that I was deceitful. And I'm lowering myself to the position of your servant, and I'm calling you my Lord. This was very common in the culture. Don't make a big, too big a deal out of this. This was actually a respectful thing of someone who should be in a place of honor. It would almost be like calling somebody sir or something like that, and, and, and respect. And you even know that Sarah called Abraham Lord. Okay, this is so don't, don't, put, don't put any earthly kingship or anything like that on it. What he's talking about is he's treating Esau with the respect that he should have treated him with. 
you know, uh, but when he decided to be deceitful. He wants to make up with Esau, and this is the way of showing it, and he acknowledges that by the standards of the culture and the order of their birth that Esau is superior to him uh, inside the family. He's, he's acknowledging that. Even though God chose to go with the one that was born second, that's God's deal. But I want you to know in our culture what I did was wrong. Does that make sense? But now that it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean when we go and apologize to people that they're going to accept it. And that's why he's he's sending some buffers out there and he wants Esau to kind of work his way to him. And you ever heard this? Well, I need to set up some kind of scenario where they can cool down a little bit before we see each other. And, and, and I think that is a great cooling period. I, th- I think that was one of the things in sports that was smart when they started saying these reporters couldn't talk to people, you know, right after they've come off the field and they're all, you know, hyped up. Let everybody cool down a little bit and then let's talk. Have you ever been glad that God did not allow you to see somebody for a little while that you were upset with? Oh, I am. It, it feels a little different when the sun comes up on the next day and it, it, that you may – now you're probably not going to say some things you would have said if y'all had seen each other instantly. So, so God is, is uh, with this plan. So let's look what happens in 6 through 8. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. <laughs> Esau bringing, bringing some folks with him. Uh, you know, he's become quite a big deal in Edom. He's, he's, he, he's got people really loyal to him. He's got his own thing going now. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Underline that. Greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Not good news for the first camp. Okay, you you don't really want to be in camp one. I mean, really, in camp one. So wait a minute. So, So we could... Are we being used to find out if Esau's going to kill all of us or not? Yes. If he takes y'all out, the rest of us are fleeing. Uh, you don't want to be in Camp 1. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is one of those things that when he's starting picking the teams, you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I had not been. I hadn't upset Jacob the other day. I wish I'd handled that differently. I bet I'm going in Camp 1. So, you know, Camp, camp 1 ain't the place to be. But here's the part, and I searched, and I have searched, and I have searched, and I have prayed. Why don't these messengers know whether Esau's mad or not? All they do is come back and say, he's coming. He's bringing 400 people with him. We can only deduce, and I'm not saying it's right, nor is anyone else, because Moses doesn't tell us. I don't know if he thinks, you know, the ancient readers we should know. You know, he doesn't know we're going to be reading this in something called 2022, okay? He is inspired by God, so God's writing this. I guess it's the only thing I can come to the conclusion on this is that Esau didn't want to tell him whether he was mad or not. Oh, you just go back and tell him I'm coming. I'm bringing 400 people with me. You know, hey, this is what Jacob told us to tell you. Okay, sounds good. Tell him I'm on my way. I got 400 people with me. Because they don't say anything else. They didn't come back and say, we talked to him. He doesn't seem too mad. Or we talked to him. Hey, he's furious. I think all he – does anybody disagree with that? I think he just said, I'm, I hear your message. Thank you for delivering it. Let him know message delivered. And I'm working my way to him. And then I don't know if he told the messengers this or they were good messengers. They took note. You know, now we don't know whether if they had been evangelists, whether the 400 was really 400. You know what I mean? But, you know, because he goes, our promoter, you know, they, it could have been 100. But, but are these guys might have been pretty accurate and said, I'm telling you, there's 400 people coming. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm pretty good at calling the crowd. I'm telling you, he's got at least 400. So, so we will we will see. I, I think that four hundred number is accurate. So, because Jacob is now greatly afraid and distressed, so here's Jacob thinking to himself, "That's not enough information for me." But it's clear that Jacob, because he is greatly distressed, Jacob sees the four hundred people coming with him that they're coming to make war. Now, I got to go back to the camp one people again. But anyway, so they they have returned. Jacob's frightened, but he doesn't seem to be paralyzed by the fear because he, he does decide to, to, to go a passive route and divide the people and the animals into two camps, and if, if one gets attacked, the other one survives. So he, he, it's also kind of smart. He's not going to lose everything uh, in, if, if uh, Esau decides to go nuts. So um, 
So that's that's where we are. And then Jacob is going to show us again a great example of, of how you handle this when we get into verses 9 through 12. And you know what this is about to be? Jacob is about to pray. But say that again. This is the Word of God. Okay, this is the Word of God. This is the holy inspired Word of God. Application is so obvious here. Let's not miss it, even though we're dudes. Okay, let's don't miss it. I'm concerned about this relationship with family. I'm sure none of us in here have a problem with a family member or ever had that. Okay, I got an issue with family. I don't know whether they're mad at me or not. Things didn't go well the last time we were together. I want there to be peace. Now, don't miss that. Listen to me, brothers and sisters that may be watching or listening. It ain't worth it. It's not worth it. People do things they shouldn't have done. People change. People mess up. Nobody in here has got perfect family. Okay? It's not worth it. I know families that have not spoken to each other in years over something that is never going to be resolved adequately, and it's probably time just to say, forgive me as I forgive you, as Jesus forgave me, let's live at peace. Remember what I said to you when we were talking about this bitterness between Jacob and Esau, Nelson Mandela. Being bitter against someone and unforgiving is like you drinking poison expecting them to die. It's just going to kill you. Let it go. I'm going to say that again. I don't know why I'm saying it again, but I sense I need to say it again. Let it go. We all got it. Let it go. Now, we don't know whether this is going – hey, listen, when I say let it go, that doesn't mean what they did is okay. You know, that, that's that pride again. Well, if I, if I let it go, that means I'm approving of it. No, it doesn't. It means you want to be right with God. Even if you're never right with him again, you want to be right with God. And God said don't ever withhold forgiveness from people that I didn't withhold from you. What if God showed up today and says, unless you did everything right, I'm not going to forgive you. Everybody in this room is going to hell. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to forgive you in spite of you because I alone can do it. Do we need to repent? Yes. If we repent of our sin, does it mean our sin never mattered? No, because what have we learned for eight years? Say it with me. Sin always matters. Okay, and God hates it. But he's willing to forgive it if we repent and acknowledge that we need to be at peace with him. So, don't go back. When If you're sitting here right now and you think somebody that messed up with you 20 years ago is somehow going to remember it clearly and go back and walk through every step and say, own every one of it, says, I did that wrong, I did that wrong. I did that. Look, just say, I don't want to be at odds anymore. Whatever happened, happened. I'd like for us to move forward before Christ returns or we're both dead. Or we're all dead if it's a group of people, whatever. Just get over it. And it doesn't mean what they did was okay. It just means Satan's not going to use it against you to keep you from being the man of God or the woman of God that you're never going to be as long as you keep this cancer in your life. Let it go. If for no other reason, so you can be used by God. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about putting yourself in danger. If somebody's abusive or somebody's hurt you and they can be dangerous. I'm not talking about that. You still want to let it go. Now, that doesn't mean you should ever be around them again. And there's people that I have forgiven that I'll never do business with again. I'll never be in ministry with again. Uh, we're not going to have lunch again. But I honestly can tell you, looking at I, I have forgiven them. It's over. And, and for whatever I did to them, I hope that they can forgive me. I can't control that part of it. But I forgive them. But that doesn't mean that everybody I've forgiven, we all of a sudden become great pals and, and you know, in vacation together. It just means I'm done with it. Okay? I, I, it's over. Let it go. So that's what Jacob is hoping is going to take place, but he can't control Esau, can he? So what does he do? If we are sitting here today and we are at odds with someone – and we don't know how it's going to go, and we've gotten news, they're on their way, and we think it might go poorly, and we're 
concerned about it. The Word of God teaches us the next thing we should do is pray. And and how should we pray? You, have you ever been – look, I've done it. I'm on and up. You ever been so mad at somebody that you don't even want to pray because you know God's going to forgive them? You remember, you remember what I said about Jonah? You get to the end of Jonah, Jonah's still mad about it. He never gets past it. But he still does what God told him to do, doesn't he? And, and later on, those people turned away from God again, and he eventually did destroy them. But he didn't destroy them for Jonah to see it because, because Jonah was, wanted vengeance. And you know what? Probably had a good case for vengeance. That what they did to his people and to his family was really bad. And he didn't want to be forgiven for it. But God said to Jonah, that's not your call. You go and tell them about me, and if they repent, I am going to forgive them. And Jonah's like, I'll go do it. Well, there they go. They've repented. And then he sits out there under that tree, and he pouts all the way to the end of Jonah and never gets over it. So sometimes you just do what God tells you to do, whether you like it or not, because you want to be obedient to the one and only living God. Somebody say amen. So here's what Jacob said. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country, to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds. Underline that. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love. Jacob says, you've given me steadfast love that I was not worthy of. It gets problematic when we start thinking we're worthy of God's steadfast love, and that's why you got to be careful with some of this contemporary uh, worship music right now. I use the word worship loosely here. There's some of it out there that thinks that God just ought to be so thrilled that he loves us uh, and that he, that he should just be enamored with us, that we are just these wonderful human beings, and he wants us to be the best version of ourselves. No, what he wants us to be is he wants us to be obedient under his authority and that he will be glorified, not us. He doesn't share his glory with anybody, including those he's redeemed. Okay? So here is Jacob saying, I'm not worthy of the love you've shown me. I'm not worthy of the faithfulness that you've shown me. And all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant, for with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the children, but you said, don't, don't miss this in verse 12. This shows you Jacob was just like us. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, this is a funny prayer. Part of it's great. I mean, part of it, he is, like I said, Jacob's prayer is, is clearly prompted by his fear. That's all right. I've had, I, I know a lot of my prayers have been prompted by fear. You know, I'm, I'm, and 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 so he uh, he 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 wants Esau not to do harm to him or his family. He also says, "I'm praying my faith." And then he says something that is so interesting. But it's all right to do it. But the way he does it at the end is really comical. Uh, but he is doing something that is okay. What is he doing? He's remembering God's promises. You said that I'm going to be all right. You said that you would protect me. You said that you were going to work out this plan for all these people and all these children through Abraham, Isaac, and me. So if I get killed, that's not going to happen. So I'm kind of thinking you're not going to let me get killed because you said that I wasn't going to be killed because you said you're going to do this. He's reminding God as if God needs to be reminded Hey, now don't forget, don't let me get killed because I'm going to mess your plan up. And, uh, and he's reminding him uh, that, uh, that he promised, and he's applying that Yahweh, now I want you to think about this for a minute, and be careful with this, though. Be careful with our spirit on this. But he says it pretty straightforward. He's applying that Yahweh has a responsibility to protect Jacob and his children because I remember what you said. And we've seen this happen a lot in Scripture, haven't we? The time that Moses goes to him. You remember when Moses is done with these people just like God is. And God's saying, I'm just going to kill everybody. And, uh, and Moses goes over and says, now look, that's going to look bad. You know, I mean, you, these, these people from Egypt, you know, that we're trying to get to worship you, not these idols. If they hear you took us all out here and killed all of us, that's not going to be a good PR move for you. You're going to have some public relations problems. 
you know, as if God didn't know what he was going to do. But this is basically what Jacob is saying. Hey, don't forget what you know what he is. And we've been there. He's terrified that Esau is going to kill him. And he's wondering if God is really going to protect him like he said he would. But we, where we got to get is if God said something's going to happen, it will happen. And if God said it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And Jacob is praying that again. But he is praying, and he knows where to go to get to get to get peace, doesn't he? He knows where to go to take this anxiety away. And so, so then look at verses thirteen through sixteen. This won't take long here. Um, so now you're going to just see the plan that Jacob's put together. So he stayed there that night, and, and, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. And really this list is everything he's sending to Esau. You know what? Somebody's mad at you. There's nothing wrong with sending flowers. There's no, I've done that. You ever had to go get flowers? Yeah. Yeah. Sherry and I almost never got married over one one thing that she got mad at me about. And 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 if I if I had not been extremely apologetic uh, apologetic and went and got lots and lots and lots and lots of flowers, uh, I may not be sitting here married to her today. It may never got off the ground. Uh, but anyway, uh, we found out pretty quick that we probably can't work at the same office together. But anyway, so um, so anyway, so, so we, we haven't tried that again. Uh, but anyway, so here's what Esau did. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, uh, 30 milking camels and their calves. Uh, that's funny. Underline that about the camels. I'll tell you something about that. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Um, these he handed over to his servants, every drove, uh, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, put a space between me, drove and drove. Uh, and, and so what he's doing now, and then he instructs, instructs the first one, uh, what to do. And I'll tell you about that in a minute, 550 total animals. He's going to give to Esau. That's a big number. The most valuable are the females. Um, because they're going to produce more, and they're going to make their increase these stocks really quick. And you know, you don't need as many males because uh, in the animal kingdom, it's it's a, it, it's a lot like what we see sometimes, sadly, with adult males uh, that are human beings. Is they can take one, they, they, there can be you know one female, and they can father children with multiple females. You know, sadly, we have humans who act like that at times. Um, and so the females they equal growth. I mean, I'm giving you the the fact to have so many females in the flock. I'm I'm letting you know that this this flock is going to grow and it's going to grow quick, and and then I've got some males to go with it. The lactating camels and 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 they're and they're young. You got to understand, Edom is up in the mountains. Camels don't do well up in the mountains. This is not a practical gift. That's why you see it listed in here. The others are practical. This is not practical. You know what? What he's doing it's a it's a brother to brother. But we can, if you're married in here or plan on being married, you can explain this. Nothing worse than for it to be a special uh, gift, and you give your wife something that is practical versus something that just said, "I just wanted to lavish something on you." Okay, hey Rick, uh, uh, honey, I'm sorry about the way I acted. I bought you a vacuum cleaner. That, that's no that that. It may be a nice one, but that ain't the way to go, you know what I mean, because that's practical. But if I come in and I've said, I said, I'm sorry for what I did, here's something that has – it's not practical at all. It's just la- I'm lavishing this on you. You know, flowers are going to fade. You know, you really didn't need another piece of jewelry. You know, that kind of stuff. I, you, you know, I, it's something that I know that you just think is special. What, what do women call it? Getting them a happy, okay? Well, these camels is a happy. If somebody gave you camels, that was kind of a big deal. It's it's kind of an exotic gift. Now, it's probably going to be sold by Esau because trying to use them up in the mountains is, is not really a great animal for the for where uh, Esau lives. But this is to show I'm going above and beyond. I'm buying you stuff that's expensive, and I'm giving you an expensive gift. This is how serious I am about rectifying this situation. Or we could say, and it wouldn't be unfair. I'm trying to soften the blow. I'm I'm seeing if I can do enough that you ain't gonna be mad by the time you get here with these 400 people that are with you. Okay, so uh, so now in 17 and 18, he's gonna coach the servants on how he wants it done. Uh, you know, he he wants he wants he's saying here's how we do it. Here's the gifts. Here's what everybody's got. Now here's the approach I want you to take. 
17. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you to whom do you belong, where are you going, and who are these ahead of you, then you shall say they belong to your servant, and say it just like this. I can just hear it. Don't say it any other way. Your servant Jacob, they are present, sent to my Lord Esau. So they're servant and Lord again. Hey, this is what I want you to say. Have you ever given instruction to your kids or whatever? This is what this is how you handle it. Don't say anything other than what I just said. And so, and and moreover, he is uh, he is behind us, and, uh, and 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 that meaning he he is closing in, and and you need to get up there quick and let him hear this. All right. So then he moves into verses nineteen through twenty. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. Every group got the same instruction. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind him. You ever emphasize something that was really important? For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. He's very clear about why he's doing it. I'm trying to see if I can win him over before he sees me. I want to send. A, I'm. I, he's look. He's what. He's using these as buffers, where where Esau's going through one buffer. He's calming down. He's going through another. He's calming down. Gifts, uh, Lord servant. Gifts, Lord servant. Gifts, Lord servant. Now he'll see me. I'm hoping that by the time he goes through all me lavishing this stuff out on him and all of my humility and all of my apologies, when we finally encounter each other, he's not going to be mad. That's exactly what he's doing. And it's not bad strategy. Look at 21 through 23. And now we're getting into a part of Scripture that I think if all of us were honest, it blows our mind. This next thing, there's so much going on here, and I must admit, as you're as you're in, you know, just an insufficient teacher, it's a lot. It's a lot, and I will do the best I can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, I can handle it correctly and clearly. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. That same night. He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children. He crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So this is just practical, the first part. I don't know what Esau's going to do. You ever, you ever been here? Hey, a tornado's coming. I'm putting my family, I'm putting them in the storm shelter. And I'm going to get out here and start watching for it to come. I don't want Esau to hurt them. If this goes badly, then I want my family not to be with me. I'm going to pull myself away from them. He's also now going to be alone. And I'm going to, as Esau comes through, and this is, this is good right here, and men need to hear this. As Esau works his way through these filters, all these presents, all these servants, all these accolades with his 400 men, I brought this on us. They didn't bring this on us. My my wives, my children, their maid servants, you know, all these are the mothers of his children and his children, and we went through that mess. But they are now. That's where they are. So it's his job to protect them and his job to protect his children. And he's saying, this is a problem that I, in my deceit, brought on my family but I'm going to distance him from me, and I'm going to take the brunt of it. I'll be the one he sees. And if he gets me and he gets the rest of us, maybe they'll be safe. So so he goes, and, and now he's alone. Can you imagine this moment when he's alone? And now we get into the part where it's just him, and this is about to be, and this is where sometimes I – this gets really, really heavy and really emotional, but good. So many times, listen to me, do not miss this. If you, if you, if you have dozed off, sit up straight. If, you have, if your mind has wandered to what you're doing next, stop it and listen. You don't want to miss this next part, okay? It's extremely important. So 
Jacob, this whole time, thinks that this is an encounter with Esau. And he's wrong. It's an encounter with God. So many times when you're in difficulty, and I'm in difficulty, you think it's the difficulty. But it's God. It's God refining you. It's God refining me. This God is, you think God can't keep Esau from even coming down here? Esau can't take a step without God allowing it. Esau can't take a breath without God allowing it. This is an encounter with God. And you're about to see that confirmed. It's not an encounter with Esau. Esau's a byproduct. What Jacob's about to deal with is, you told my mama and you told her that I was supposed to get the blessing and we did it our way. We didn't do it your way. And he and God got to wrestle that out. We did it different. And I ha- I've got to come to grips with that. I've got to deal with you, God, on this. And we all need to deal with God on the things that we haven't dealt with yet. You got to wrestle it out. You got to deal with it. Because ultimately, all these people you're concerned about, they are, you are not going to stand before their throne. You're going to stand before God's throne. And he's going to say, what was all this garbage you were doing when I said do it this way? Matthew 7, Jesus trying again to remind us there was a wise man who built his life on the rock. He used the analogy of the house, but he's talking about our lives. He that is wise is the one who hears my words and does them. He's like a man who builds his life on the rock. And you're like, but Rick, what about the difficulty? Well, Jesus said, and the rains came, and the floods came, and the wind beat against that house too. Don't forget, it didn't didn't just beat against the unwise man's house. The one who built it on the sand, who heard Jesus' commands, God's commands, and didn't do them. Well, yeah, his house is on sand, and floods and rain and wind hit him. It hits both of them. It's just the one on the rock is the only one that's going to survive. See, I think there's so much garbage out there that if we do what God tells us to do, that then the floods won't come, the rain won't come, the wind won't come. That's not in Scripture. That isn't, that's nowhere. It's completely the opposite. God says over and over again, fallen creation, tribulation, trouble, trouble, refinement, difficulty. But the way you survive it is to build your life on me and do what I say. Even when you do what he says, difficulty still may come, but you'll survive it. The wind's beating on both houses, and it's been beating on Jacob. And so Jacob's now alone with the most important encounter of his life, and it's not with Esau. It's with Yahweh. (sighs) That's that's, that's a lot. I'm going to let that sit a minute. So let's see what happens. Verse 24 and 25. And Jacob was left alone. Interesting how Moses just jumps right into it. I almost want a bigger bridge from Moses here. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, underline that, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, as he wrestled with him. What? We don't know. We, we, we don't know. Some of this, it just uh, switches so abruptly to Jesus wrestling with what, what Moses is calling a man. There's no identification. But, but you do have to look at the play on words here. Jacob wrestled. The struggle isn't really explained. God, of course, can defeat Jacob, right? What in the world is God doing playing games like this? 
How do you know he can defeat Jacob? Well, it tells you in a minute he just touches his hip and throws the thing out of socket. If all he's got to do is touch your hip to throw it out of socket, you think he's in trouble in this wrestling match? But why is he allowing Jacob to sense he's prevailing against him? It's interesting, isn't it? Of course he can defeat Jacob. But what he's doing is he's preparing Jacob for what lies ahead of him. He, 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 is, he is showing Jacob that he can wrestle and he can wrestle this thing out with Esau or whatever problem, whatever your Esau is, my Esau is. You can wrestle with your own strength all you want to. And even when you get to the point that you think you can do it on your own, you'll find pretty quick that you need me. Tap right on his hip. How about now? How? ridiculous are we and men are the worst and i'm one of the worst offenders lord i'll come back to you when i run up on something i can't handle but most of this i can handle on my own anybody ever tried that stupid plan hey that goes great doesn't it and he and you run to him he's like i've been here the whole time why don't you just start with me yeah i wish i would have so the fact that we see him touch his hip, the loin area, nothing God does is happenstance. There's never a moment like after this, after the wrestling deal that he's allowing, does he look over at the angels and go, I don't know why I went with a hip. I, uh, I guess I, I should have maybe knocked him out, touched his forehead or something. I, I, I missed. Or No, this is, this, this, the loin area was considered by the culture of the Jews to be the place of vitality and power for a man, exploding through the hips. That's where these men were powerful. It's also vitality. It's, it, it, it's the area where the act of producing children, remember the covenant, put your hand here. That was this loin area for a covenant, vitality, fruitfulness. And God just takes this area that, these men says, this is where our power is. And just when Jacob says, hey, I'm prevailing, he just taps that area of their most strength and knocks his hip, hip out of socket. Has God ever knocked your hip out of socket? He's willing to. He, he's, he's willing to. This is not an ordinary man when we see this, and we know this is God in human form. So look at 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. Now, this is God as a man saying this, and we'll talk about that. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? Oh, this part. Y'all think God didn't know Jacob's name? What is your name? Why do you think he's asking that? What's the name Jacob mean? Deceiver. You see what this is all about now? What is your name? This is repentance. My name is Deceiver. I'm a deceiver. I, I, I tried to do this my way through deception. And God says, then your name shall no longer be called Deceiver. Redemption. Huh? Anybody excited about this at all? Huh? What 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 did what, what what was your name? Maybe your name was fornicator, adulterer, thief, liar, murderer. Maybe it's deceiver. And God stands before us and says, If you are you willing to repent so I can give you a new name? And I love that God said, because of my forgiveness, your name is no longer deceiver. Through this struggle with me, we're going to make things right. You're not just at odds with Esau. You're at odds with me. Repent. I'll change your name. Whew. 
And, you know, this this thing, I'm going to do a little bit. I had a little bit of a correction on this because this next thing that happens, then you see your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God. I'm doing the English Standard Version. Yours may have something else. And with men, and you have prevailed. Don't miss and with men. So he disabled Jacob. The man uh, Jacob demands that he be blessed by God. Jacob acknowledges by saying that, that he is acknowledging, which we need to do. When we ask for God to bless us, you know, we have to acknowledge first. When Jacob says to him, bless me, right there, you know what he's saying? You can bless me. I acknowledge you're superior to me. You are God Almighty. You are a superior opponent. Is it time for you and me to do that? You're superior to us. Forgive me for acting like I'm God. You're God. Bless me, because only you can. Mm, God, there's so much going on here. And Jacob asked for him to bless him. God asked him his name, and he says, I'm a deceiver, and I'm afraid of Esau. Now, this thing of Israel, you know how sometimes people say, well, Israel is he struggled with God. Yes and no, but it also, if you look at the Hebrew word for word here, it really is, which is, again, bigger, Israel is God controls, meaning yeah, I'm struggling with him, but but he has the upper hand. Don't ever let this name mean that there's some kind of equal battle going on here. It really means God controls. Uh, Jacob struggled with God, but God controls. Yes, it's because he he was with God and, and wrestling with God, but you got to understand that Israel does mean that there is a struggle between this line of people and God, but God controls. God is sovereign. God is in control. And then he says, you have struggled with me and men. What does he mean by that? Well, he had prevailed in the struggle to receive a blessing just as he had, um, you know, was blessed when he overcame Laban. You know, God did bless him. So you you have overcome everything that's been put in your way, and now you've been made right with me. And he wants to know what's going on. So look what happens next. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Now he's asking God. But he said, what is it that you ask my name? Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Underline that because that explains something that happens in the struggle. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. Please underline that. Therefore to this day people of Israel do not eat the, the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Jacob wants to know his opponent's name. He even says, please. The reply is only a question. Why are you asking? How many times did Jesus answer a question with a question? Always. You know what God wants to know? You got to be kidding me, right? Why are you asking me what my name is? Don't you know what my name is? I am. I have always been. So God does not answer the question, but then he blessed him, which does answer the question. Does that make sense? And it leaves, and then he leaves the scene with real no, no explanation of why he departs. God, uh, Jacob in verse 30, realizes it was God, and he named the place Peniel, face of God is what that means. Not just I met God face to face, but my life has been spared even though I saw him face to face. But keep in mind, God sparing his life shows again what? That Jacob is favored. Now go back to God as man saying, we got to end this because day is breaking. That's what this is about here. Remember what Scripture tells us? Hey, you can only see a part of me because if you see me fully, it'll kill you. A human cannot look upon me. 
Well, this is God with Jacob going, hey, we need to wrap this up. You don't want the sun come up and you see me. If the sun comes up and you see me, it'll kill you. God being gracious again. Hey, let's work this out now before the sun comes up. Anybody hear this? Let's work this out now before the sun comes up. I'm going to say this again. Let's work this out before the sun comes up. Y'all know the sun's going to come up, right? The sun's going to come down. And his foot's going to touch on the Mount of Olives. And at that moment, Mr. I'll put it off, I need to repent today. I need to get right with God, just not today. Well, you cannot today yourself right into the judgment of God and go to hell. There is a come a time, there's a time when our gracious God is going to say the church age and the grace age is over, and he's going to turn that faucet of grace off, and it's going to be time for judgment. It's going to be the break of day. The sun's going to come up, and everybody who stands before a holy God that is not redeemed by Jesus will be killed by his holiness. And you know what he's saying to all of us? Let's end this struggle now before the sun comes up and before you see me face to face. Let's end this struggle. And you repent and get right with me and end this struggle before the sun comes up. And he did spare Jacob. I love this part of it in 31 and 32. And I carry this with me, and we're almost done. Because I do limp, don't you? The sun rose upon him, and as he paused at Penuel, limping because of his hip. Hmm. I love this. Are y'all loving this much I am this week? Who thinks that God couldn't fix that limp? You know what God said? I'll leave the limp. So you won't ever forget. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I've asked you to remove this thorn from my flesh, but you won't. But he doesn't leave the question unanswered. You won't remove it because it'll keep me from being conceited. I won't think too highly of myself because of this thorn that we don't know what it is. So he says, so I'm good with it. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the thorn because every time I struggle with this thorn, it humbles me and reminds me of the incredible grace that you have shown me and your grace is sufficient. I'd rather have your grace with a thorn than to not have a thorn and not have your grace. If it requires a limp, then I'll limp on. Because every time I limp, I remember the struggle. And every time I limp, I remember your goodness. Don't ever try to dodge the limp. Because the limp is your testimony. The limp is the reminder of how great God is and how you and I have struggled against him and hopefully through repentance we finally said please bless me because you're the only one that can and on this side of heaven I will limp through the rest of your call on my life until you make me whole until I'm glorified. I'll limp through my sanctification until I'm glorified. Maybe it's time for you to stop the struggle and just say that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you before the sun comes up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible message. Lord, I just pray that you will forgive me for any any, any, and everything that, that I've done against you. I'm embarrassed of my struggle with you at times. How dare me? 
but I'm thankful you were willing to struggle with me and remind me of who you are. And Lord, I'm thankful for the lamp. That lamp always reminds me of you and how wonderful you are and how you met me where I was and we fought it out and you overcame me. And you met me where I was, but you didn't leave me there. And I pray, Lord, that any of those right now that are struggling and fighting with you, that today's the day they repent. And I know when they do, you'll forgive them. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for your time. If you need me, uh, rick at burgessministries.com. Be happy to help you. Thanks a lot.